Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Hangout in the Holy Land, Land Grant Holy Land's flagship podcast. We are here this week to preview the Oregon game, but we've got some housekeeping notes to take care of. Before that, I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Josh Dooley. I am Gene Ross. And, Josh, we're coming off the first full weekend of college football. There's a lot of fun, a lot of craziness, a lot of upsets, and a lot of, you know, questionable things going on on the weekend to talk about. So, there's a lot to discuss there. How are you doing today? What's up coming off of a, a, an extended weekend with Labor Day? Yeah, extended is the word, especially when it comes to college football. I feel like I'm recovering from a, a long bender, it seems like. We had football going from Thursday to Monday. I watched games pretty much every night. So uh, just time to recoup and recover and time for another pod preview, but ready to talk Buckeyes and Ducks. And uh, this should be a really good one coming up. So I'm really excited to get into it. Yes, and it's an exciting week for Ohio State, one of their bigger non-conference games they've had in a while, and obviously one of the biggest games they have in the regular season this year. But before we get to that, we could talk through some of this wild and crazy week one action. As you said, we had five straight days of college football, which I am never going to complain about. I wish that kind of happened every week. Never. But yes, it was a lot of fun. Uh, you know, obviously Ohio State played on Thursday night, and then Friday had a game, uh, Saturday had all the games, and then Sunday and Monday you also had a game each as well. Uh, I, I don't know what you really want to talk about, Josh. I'm just going to kind of go through some of the things that I thought were interesting. Obviously, uh, I think an overarching theme of the weekend is that the ACC is the worst football conference to ever exist. Uh, you had UNC losing an upset to Virginia Tech. It turns out that Sam Howell cannot do everything on his own when he loses literally all of his skill position players at the end of last year. So that was interesting. You know, they had a, a, some hype going into the year as one of the ACC favorites outside of Clemson, and they uh, fell on their face right out of the gate. Uh, you had a bunch of teams. You had uh, on the in the Pac-12. You had Oregon, who we're going to talk about. They didn't look so great at home against Fresno State. You had Washington lose outright to Montana. So that was uh, you know another fun one. Uh, obviously, the biggest game of the weekend, Clemson Georgia, was just a, a reskin of the Wisconsin Penn State game where nobody knew how to score and it was all defense. And you know while I thought Georgia's Georgia obviously won the game 10-3. to There wasn't an offensive touchdown scored in the game. The only touchdown was a pick six by the Georgia defense. I thought their defense looked really good. I thought the Clemson offensive line looked awful. And I don't know how much of that was just how good that Georgia front is, but they could not uh, keep DJ Uangalele safe at all in that game. He was sacked about a million times. And, you know, I, I don't know. You know, the Georgia defense is obviously really good, but I also just think Clemson's offense is not quite all together there yet with DJ Uangalele. And I think that, you know, on top of yeah, that, I think Georgia's. Be true, right? Yeah, yeah. And I think Georgia's offense looked really bad as well. I don't think, you know, we saw Clemson's defense last year let up a million points to Ohio State. So I don't think that all of their struggles were related to the Clemson defense. I think that, you know, Georgia is obviously missing a ton of skill players. JT Daniels is not exactly an, an explosive or an electric quarterback back there. He's solid, but he's not a guy that's going to kind of stand on his head and win a game on your own. So I think they have their own struggles, but obviously Georgia was the big winner in that one. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure I'm forgetting a bunch of games, but those were kind of the biggest, you know, standout performances to me. Uh, you know, uh, one other one, I know you want to talk some of the Big Ten games, but uh, Indiana coming out and just getting their doors blown off by Iowa. Uh, you know, Ohio State's seen that game before going into Iowa and, and trying to beat that defense in that stadium. It's not the most fun task in the world, but Michael Penix really struggled in that game, and that was another kind of big upset of the weekend. So that was those are some of the big highlighters for me. Uh, Josh, what, what kind of stood out to you from this past weekend? I think the thing that stood out the most and the kind of overarching theme is after watching every single game I could, and especially a lot of these high profile games, there was not another team in the country besides Alabama that really jumped out to me and was like, oh, wow, these guys are really going to be something um, to be dealt with. Now, 
it's week one. We don't want to overreact and we don't want to say, you know, hey, it's, it's Ohio State, Alabama and everyone else, because you and I both know it's far too early. And I don't think either one of us is prepared to say that after what we saw from Ohio State either. But you went through some of the games and even the ones that um, we kind of didn't talk about, you know, Texas A&M was up 13 to three on Kent State at halftime. They blew their doors off in the second half and ended up being 41 to 10. But that was a really slow start by a team that's ranked number sixth in the country or was ranked number six. Iowa State, they struggled with Northern Iowa all game pretty much. They won 16 to 10 and they're going to have to go up against Iowa, their in-state rivals. So um, those were a couple of the other games that you didn't even hit on where I just I watched these top 10 teams and a lot of them seem to struggle. And there are a number of reasons why it's early in the season. Lots of inexperienced guys out there. You've got the jitters. It's their first game for a lot of these teams in front of real fans and packed stadiums in, uh, you know, over a year. But it, it was just great to have college football back. And the thing that, like I said, that, that hit me the most is I don't see a juggernaut out there besides Alabama and even in the, the Big Ten, especially, you know, Michigan over Western Michigan, that doesn't do anything for me yet. And they lost Ronnie Bell. We saw Mo Ibrahim. Granted, we weren't probably going up against Minnesota again. He's out for the year. That sucks for both of those guys. But we watched Penn, uh, Penn State and Wisconsin struggle to score against each other. We watched Indiana really struggle against Iowa. I think that speaks to both teams personally. Indiana was more hyped than they probably should have been, in my opinion. You know, we talked about it on a previous pod. Michael Penix Jr. was a sub 60% passer. He always kind of has been. So unless he was going to go out there and, you know, get better when it came to accuracy, I'm not overly surprised that he struggled against what is at least an experienced Iowa defense. I think I was going to be something to be, um, you know, watched for in the Big Ten West, but just a lot of blah games. They tried to put out these great matchups and there were certainly great games. That Georgia Clemson game that you talked about, it wasn't beautiful, but I thought it was damn exciting uh, to watch both those defenses play really well. Georgia's defense is just insane. The Notre Dame-Florida State game was a really good one last night, or two nights ago, I'm sorry. But yeah, there were just a lot of teams that failed to impress me. And that maybe that's just because I set a high standard or I was really excited to see college football back. But I think it's going to be a wide open race this year for all those number, uh, for all those reasons that I mentioned, you know, a lot to be determined still. And a lot of teams are either going to rise to the top or come back to the pack. And I, I really wouldn't be surprised by anything come into the season and just based off of only one week of viewing. Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, like like kind of like you alluded to, you know, Ohio State fans were a little worried coming off that Thursday night game because Ohio State didn't really look that that menacing out there against Minnesota. But then we see all these other teams come out this past weekend. And really, like you said, I forgot to even mention the Alabama game because I turned it off after like two drives because I'm like, all right, well, Miami is, is no good. It's another Florida school that got overhyped for no reason. And Alabama's just going to run them out of the building as they did. Um, shout out to Jameson Williams for his long touchdown. We like to see him continue to succeed uh, with them. Although, you know, we, we won't like to see it if we go up against them later in the year. But yeah, but besides Alabama, nobody really overly impressed. Like I said, even Georgia, who looked really good against Clemson, had their issues on offense. Uh, you know, we got a, a new AP poll today. Alabama's obviously number one. 
Uh, Georgia 2, Ohio State moved up to 3, Oklahoma falls to 4. We didn't talk about that game either. Oklahoma nearly lost to Tulane, uh, which was basically a home game because Tulane had to relocate their game after the hurricane, so they played at at Oklahoma, and Oklahoma only won by 5. So that was questionable. And then you got A&M at 5, Clemson coming in at 6, and that's uh, today's latest AP poll. So Ohio State moves up a spot. Despite maybe not playing, you know, a full game, they played a good second half, and you saw kind of what they could be as the season goes on. Yeah, like some of these other... Some of these other Big Ten teams, especially like you alluded to, you know, we didn't even talk about Illinois losing to UTSA, which is which is very funny, and I don't know if it says more about Gross. them or about Nebraska, but a, a very funny outcome in just that those first couple of games for Illinois and Nebraska as a whole. Um, a Big Ten West is a mess. I was really not high on Iowa coming into the season, as we talked about in our Big Ten preview, but they did impress this week. Their defense looked really good. I mean, Spencer Petras, which was like my big knock on them, that he wasn't very good. He still wasn't very good. It's just that their defense played out of their minds. So, you know, Iowa might be able to just live on the strength of their defense. Uh, you know, Michigan State and, the, and Northwestern was a, a weird one. Northwestern looks like they're not very good this year at all. I don't think Michigan State's as good as they looked. Uh, Maryland had the big win over West Virginia, who lost a bunch of guys, but uh, Talia Tagovailoa looked very good along with their wide receivers they have. So a lot of interesting outcomes in the Big Ten especially, but just overall like a very a very weird weekend of college football, and I would expect nothing less in week one. But it was, like you said, a lot of fun to watch. That Notre Dame-Florida State game was really good, especially with the whole storyline of Mackenzie Milton coming off of all the things he's battled through to get back on the football field. Yeah, that field. was awesome. That was really fun. I really wish they had come back and won that game. Maybe they would have won it if they had just started Mackenzie Milton since he was clearly there better quarterback, but it was a fun game to watch. And then Monday night's game was just gross between Louisville and Ole Miss. I don't know how Louisville continues to trick the big networks into putting them on primetime early in the year, but they just keep doing it and keep getting blown out. So it wasn't very fun to watch. It was a nice jersey matchup. I like the all-red versus the, the baby blues at Ole Miss, but the game wasn't very good. So the Saturday games were great. The Sunday game was a lot of fun, and then the Monday night was kind of a stinker. But now we go back to kind of a normal week of college football, and there's you know, a lot of teams kind of have to pick themselves up off the mat and figure out, you know, what they are. A lot of these teams that are ranked in the top 10, top 15 didn't really put out their best efforts in week one. And now as the weeks continue to go on, especially as a lot of these teams start to play a little bit of the, the cupcake part of their schedule in the non-conference, uh, we'll, we'll start to see really what these teams are made of and how they, they kind of regroup after week one and get better. And we'll be looking for, for some of that for Ohio State. They don't really have to get up. I don't think they're really feeling bad about their performance, nor should they. But they'll obviously have a much bigger test coming up this week against Oregon and, you know, the coaching staff kind of talked a little bit today about some of the stuff leading into that game. I just wanted to touch on a few quick notes from their press conferences today, starting with Ryan Day. Uh, Day kind of alluded to the the running back rotation being shortened, which, I mean, to most would not be a surprise. He specifically mentioned Mayan Williams and Travion Henderson as guys who really, you know, d- did their jobs in game one. So I'd imagine we'll see much more of them than we will Teague. He was asked about Teague not getting any carries in the second half, and he kind of you know deflected and said he leaves those decisions to Tony Alford, who who didn't talk today. But I imagine the running back room moving forward, we'll see a lot more Williams and Henderson than it will of Teague. Uh, he also said that they wanted to run more plays for Jeremy Rucker, but they just simply didn't have the ball enough. You know, we kind of saw that Minnesota was was content with sitting on the ball and just they, they had most of the time possession. And every time Ohio State had the ball, they seemed to score in like three or four plays, especially in that second half. So wasn't a lot of time to get him involved, but I'd look to see him getting more involved here moving forward. Uh, he also said that some of those mass substitutions we saw were kind of unique to that game as Ohio State looked to figure themselves out. So. Uh, and, you know, we'll get to that a little bit more of that with Combs in a second. But he also said the linebackers 
Uh, they played well. They were sol- they had a solid performance, but there's obviously room for improvement there. And you know, as he touched on the defense, Kerry Combs was up next. And a quote that I'm sure a lot of Ohio, fa- Ohio State fans will like to hear is that he said that they have to put their best players on the field to help win us the game, which, you know, we, we, they're kind of the big knock in the first game is that they played way too many guys on defense, a lot of guys that didn't really look like they knew what they were doing out there. So I think now they kind of have a better idea of what their rotations will look like out there, and we'll start to see more of the guys that should be running with the ru- ones, running with the ones. Um, both he and Day praised Denzel Burke. Uh, they said Court Williams could be on the field in the near future, which would be good. That's a guy that's very highly touted and a guy that could certainly help out in the secondary. He's kind of a, a safety linebacker hybrid. He could play the bull. He could play at either of those positions. So that's a guy they'll uh, they'll love to get back soon. And then one last interesting note from the press conference is that Chris Olave talked for a little bit, and he said that Oregon was actually his dream school growing up, but they didn't wind up recruiting him until late in the pro- in the process when he was already like set on Ohio State, and they didn't even wind up offering him. So that's just another little interesting tidbit going into this game that Chris Olave is kind of going up against his, you know, the school he grew up rooting for. So it's another level of intrigue heading into this game. But I'm very excited for this Ohio State-Oregon game. Josh, what do you what do you think about this game going in, and what are your what are your thoughts on it and some of the stuff that, you know, we heard from the, the press conference today? Uh, you know, first and foremost, beyond excited for the game, I think this is just another test, and Ohio State's going to go up against some real talent, some real speed, which I know we'll get to all of that. So jumping back to what the coaches had to say, a couple of things stood out to me in, in a very good way. First and foremost, Ryan Day saying that he, you know, or he at least alluded to the fact that the running back rotation will be shortened. I think that that's going to be important against Oregon, whether or not Kayvon Thibodeau plays They have a lot of talent on that side of the ball, far more than the Minnesota defense that we went up against. So I think that we will see a lot more of the ground game and you want to have your two best running backs out there. You know, moving on to point number two, sort of the same thing, but this came from Kerry Coombs. He admitted or just said what we all were thinking that we need to have our best guys out there. That goes for offense and defense, but we didn't see the rotations like that on the offense except for running back on defense. I think that what we saw against Minnesota was really sort of a, a one week tryout sort of thing. I, I have to assume that that was the plan all along to rotate a lot of guys, see who was going to stick and see, you know, if those battles were really close at certain positions, who's going to stand out and guys did that. So I think that we know who we'll see a lot more out of or who we'll see a lot more of out there on the field. And I think the coaches probably know that as well now too. And, uh, you know, lastly, Ryan Day saying that they wanted to get Jeremy Ruckert more involved. Like you said, they didn't have a ton of opportunity. They didn't have a ton of time of possession, but I think that they'll need to lean, need to lean on him more as the season progresses. Oregon has a much better secondary than Minnesota And they've also got some really good linebackers there in the middle, Noah Sewell and uh, Justin Flo, especially. So I think that the middle of the field will have to be used against a better, more experienced, faster defense. I don't think that CJ Stroud is going to throw another five passes for 240 yards uh, in either half. So I think those were all good things to hear from the coaches. And I know that um, they'll be asked about it more as the week goes along and everything like that. But I think that they need to have a good game plan in place. And if you ask me, they need to practice and prepare as if Kayvon Thibodeau will be out there, even though 
I, I think it's going to be difficult for him to get back out there, especially as, as a guy who's going to be projected as, as such a, a high draft pick. I think if you rush him back, that's a detriment to the kid in, in his future, but that's another thing we can touch on. I'm just excited to see Ohio State go up against a team with speed like Oregon because if you're going to run through the Big Ten or hope to run through the Big Ten and get into the playoff, Oregon is they've got certain components of teams that you're going to see. Alabama has great team speed. Uh, you know, I watched Oregon. They've got two running backs that they throw out there a whole lot. Oregon has two running backs that they throw out there a lot. Um, so just it's a step up as far as challenges go. And I think it's a good natural progression for Ohio state before they get a couple weeks that are on paper, or at least we think a breather weeks, three, four, and five. Yeah, for sure. And you already started kind of alluding to it. So I think we could start with the Oregon defense here, kind of previewing what they're going to be bringing to Columbus this weekend. Like you said, the big name here is really uh Kayvon Thibodeau. They're their big edge rusher, probably a top 10 draft pick in this upcoming draft, the number one edge rusher on most people's boards. He sprained his ankle against Fresno State. Uh, he came out in the second half in a walking boot and sweats. He didn't play at all in the second half. He did have a sack fumble in the first half before leaving. Uh, one of four forced fumbles for Oregon in the game. But his status is day-to-day. The way that Mario Cristobal has been talking about it, I, I do think he'll play. I don't know if he'll be at 100%, but they don't really, you know, they're not talking about it. I don't know if it's just like kind of a smoke screen to get Ohio State to, to prepare for it. But like you said, I think either way, Ohio State should be preparing for it. And from, you know, Ryan Day kind of talked about it a little bit today as well, that they are preparing for it because they know how much of a, a game disruptor he could be. But yeah, they said it's a it's an ankle sprain, so it doesn't sound like it's a serious injury. It did just happen a couple days ago, so I don't know how ready he will be. But I personally, I expect him to play. Whether that's you know the same amount of snaps he would play if he was healthy will be seen. But uh, I think you'll at least see him a little bit in this game. Um, you also alluded to uh, linebacker Noah Sewell. He was the Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Year in 2020. He is the younger brother of Penny Sewell, the offensive tackle they had last year that got drafted. Um, Noah Sewell had 48 total tackles last year, six and a half for loss and two sacks, and that was over the uh, the seven games that Oregon played in the shortened season. Uh, he had five tackles, a sack, and a tackle for loss against Fresno State, so he was up to his usual tricks. He also talked about Justin Flo. Uh, he led the team in tackles with 14 against Fresno State. He also had a tackle for a loss. Uh, the, the Ducks overall had four sacks in that game, even with Kayvon Thibodeau only playing a half of football. So their, their front seven is very strong and very solid, and there's a lot of experience that they return there. Um, in the secondary Cornerback Michael Wright and safety Jamal Hill are really their two stars back there. Uh, Wright had a team-high nine pass breakups in 2020, and Hill led the team with two interceptions. Uh, but overall, they they did allow 373 yards of offense to Fresno State. Uh, by comparison, OSU allowed 408 to Minnesota, so kind of similar there. Neither defense really clicking early to start the year, but on paper, this Oregon defense is very good. They have a ton of experience. They have a lot of guys out there that can make a ton of plays. And and like you said, too, like it, it's definitely going to be a step up from what they saw against Minnesota because, you know, Minnesota had a ton of experience as well, but I don't think they had the, quite the athletes that uh, Oregon has. Oregon has a bunch of guys that could be playing on Sundays in the future. I don't know if that's the same for Minnesota. I, I highly doubt it with some of their guys. Maybe maybe a couple, but I think Oregon has more top-end talent than Minnesota does for sure, and a lot of guys that are game-changers in, in both the, the front seven and in the secondary. So it'll definitely be a test for C.J. Stroud. I think it's good that he kind of had his struggles in that first game against Minnesota, and he was able to learn from them. And we saw a much better second half from him. I think we'll need to see you know second-half C.J. Stroud for a full game this time around. Maybe they kind of come out there a little earlier, run the ball a little bit more, kind of get him comfortable, let him make some short throws early instead of going deep right away. Um, 
really get him comfortable against one of probably probably one of the better defenses they'll see all year until they really get into like the meat of their Big Ten schedule. Yeah, I think that this Oregon defense especially is going to be better than what we saw against Fresno State and a heck of a heck of a lot better than what we saw last year. Um, and, and I don't want to give away too much of my my piece coming up uh, for the website this week, but I preview the defense a little bit focused on Kayvon Thibodeau. But if you look at the other guys on the team, Noah Sewell was a freshman All-American last year. He's a really, really good middle linebacker. And he's he's a wrecking ball, man. He brings it. And next to him is probably, well, for all intents and purposes, we know it's going to be Justin Flo. He actually didn't start week one. He came off the bench uh, when uh, Mathis, I believe, is the starting linebacker who went down. And yeah, as a non-starter, he racked up 14 tackles. He was all over the place. And Justin Flo, especially, he was a highly, highly coveted recruit out of uh, California. He was like the second highest recruited player in Oregon history or to sign with Oregon right behind Thibodeau. And he's another guy. If you just look at their linebackers, especially Justin Flo, 6'2", 340, and he, or 240, goodness, and he is built like a brick, you know what house. I mean, he is solid and he is fast. And that is not what we saw from Minnesota. You know, they were running an Abilene Christian guy out there as potentially their top linebacker. So I think that unit especially is a different dynamic for Oregon. It's something that Minnesota had, uh, you know, obviously didn't have. And then the defensive line played, you said they had four sacks. They played better than I thought they would without Thibodeau. Um, Fresno State's got a decent passing attack for what it's worth. So while I didn't expect it to be that close, it's not as if Oregon looked bad to me. They looked like a team with a lot of talent playing their first game in a year. And they played seven last year. So it's going to take time for them to gel and get it together. But if they start to against Ohio State, and I I assume they will the rest of the season, I think it's going to be a really, really good uh, defense. And they get two guys back from suspension this week, too. A couple of guys who were projected to be starters in the secondary. And they had to sit week one. Uh, They had like a Nerf gun incident, something just silly and stupid during the offseason. They had to sit week one, but they'll be back. And so I think it's a completely different set of circumstances, a completely different unit than we saw week one for Ohio State. These guys have speed. They'll fly to the ball. And they've got a lot more talent, I think, than that Minnesota defense, which has really underperformed for a year plus now. And they didn't pose a great threat to the Buckeyes last Thursday, obviously. So, um But Gene, I want to turn it back to you. Which unit on that Oregon defense are you really going to be watching? Because I've kind of talked ad nauseum about the linebackers. I think those guys are studs. Where are you going to be watching and what are you going to be looking for uh, from that Oregon defense? Yeah, I mean, I don't want to just copy what you said. I do think it is the linebackers just because of the way that Ohio State plays. A lot of their offense is based around that run game. And if they can't get that going against those linebackers, it could be a really long day for C.J. Stroud. It could be a little tougher on him to kind of make plays when they, the threat of the run isn't there. Although I don't, you know, with Ohio State's offensive line, I don't really expect anyone to be able to shut them down fully. But even if they just make it a little bit more difficult, it could kind of throw a wrench into Ohio State's game plans. But I, I think the defensive line is also important. You know, obviously the... The availability of Kayvon Thibodeau is going to play a huge factor in this game, whether he's out there or not. Um, 
they did have four sacks. I think a couple of them did come from the linebackers, so it's not like all that was this pass rush off the edge. They do run, you know, a very a very good defense. They're, they're very good at. Uh, I forgot their new defensive coordinator's name, but he's he's very good. Tim kind of De Reuter, yeah, I think, is uh, yeah, how you pronounce it. Yeah, he, uh, and he's a former Ohio guy too. He had two different uh, stints with the Bobcats, like the late '90s, early 2000s. Yeah, he he knows what he's doing out there. So he he calls a really good defense. They they fit their schemes well. And they do a good job of kind of being disruptive up the middle with different kind of blitz packages and all that kind of stuff. So I'm really interested in the entire front seven as a whole because that's what's, you know, this Ohio State offensive line has really been talked up. They're a really strong group, and this is going to be one of their biggest tests of the year. So I'm excited to see kind of the matchup in the trenches here, really on both sides of the ball. Um, because I think, you know, as as most games go, the trenches are, are what win you and lose you games. But, yeah, it'll be interesting. This is, you know, it's not quite... Uh, you know, it's not quite a, like a Alabama or a Clemson defense that they're going up against, even though Ohio State had their way with Clemson's defense last year. But this is Oregon's really been stacking talent quietly in the recruiting game for the last couple of years, and it's starting to really all come to fruition here, especially on the defensive side of the ball. So they they've got guys; they're they're going to make some plays. And Ohio State has to be ready for you know there might be a, a turnover or two in this game, and they have to be ready to weather the storm. Obviously, they have the the added bonus of being at home in front of the home crowd and, you know, kind of having that on their side instead of, you know, they, they would have had to go to Oregon last year if things wouldn't have gotten crazy. So that would have been an interesting game to watch with Justin Fields going up against this defense. But I have the utmost faith in C.J. Stroud and the offensive play calling and the running backs and all that stuff to kind of weather the storm here. There might be some some growing pains early in this game as they go up against a defense that they haven't quite seen yet with this group. But overall, I think it'll be another good test for them and one that if they could, you know, Pass with flying colors, it's a really, really good indication for what the rest of the season could bring for this Ohio State offense. Yeah, that's a great point by you that uh, Mario Cristobal and this Oregon staff, they've recruited really well on both sides of the ball, but especially on defense. So they've got a ton of talent. It's just a matter of getting, getting those guys to mesh and work together as a cohesive unit. The talent's all there that, you know, if they start to put it together, in my opinion, the defense that they're going up against Saturday is potentially the most talented defense that they're going to see all season. And that, you know, that's saying something due to the fact that Ohio State plays in the Big Ten and they're going up against a Wisconsin or a Penn State or, you know, an Iowa in the championship game or something like that. Teams that have already looked really good on defense. I think Oregon has more talent and I, I really don't even think it's that close. It's just coaching and getting those guys together experienced and on the same page but um as far as game plans go gene do you we know that ryan day likes a balanced offense and i assume that will be the game plan but if it teeters one way or the other based off of this oregon defense do you think we see more run or more pass from ohio state uh for this opponent specifically I mean, I'd like to see more run if they could get it going, just because I, I really think that the the duo they have back there of Mayan Williams and Travion Henderson is just so good and talented. They both have their own unique skill sets. You know, Mayan Williams is this bowling ball guy who could run through people and kind of he's really shifty back there in the backfield. And then you have Travion Henderson with just this top end speed that is unmatched against pretty much anyone he's going to go up against in the, in all of college football. So the, between those two guys, Ohio State should really be able to make some big plays back there. And that should make C.J. Stroud's day a little easier. But what I've kind of noticed about Ryan Day 
early on in his like play calling career is that he kind of he sometimes seems to like to coach in reverse and instead of having the run set up the pass he kind of has the pass set up the run where he'll he'll take a couple of those mm-hmm. deep shots early to kind of get the linebackers off the line a few yards and then that really opens up the run game so I wouldn't be surprised at all to see him kind of try to take that approach in this game if he really trusts CJ Stroud and CJ Stroud's really feeling it that day because like if they could hit a couple of those deep balls, you know, Ohio, the this Oregon defense is good across the board, but their strength is definitely that front seven. So if you could try to attack that the the secondary a little bit early, it might open up some things in the run game if they have to kind of alter their their scheme a little bit. So I wouldn't be surprised if Ohio State comes out and tries to play it in reverse like that again. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I wouldn't be. I'm expecting the running backs to play a big role in this game, whether it be you know because Ohio State hits a couple of those deep shots early or because they just come out and try to run it down their throats right away. Um, but it, it's it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be like running against Minnesota. You know, Minnesota's linebackers were not at the level that Oregon's linebackers were, and so I'm excited for that matchup. I want to see these guys really get a chance to show what they're worth against a really really good defense. And you know, I, I trust Ryan Day as a play caller. I'm sure they they have a good game plan going into this one. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just excited to watch it. I'm excited to see the fans in the shoe again get excited for this offense. I'm excited to see the players, you know, kind of get to hype up the crowd a little bit and do a lot of that fun stuff. So I am excited to see, you know, guys like Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson really try to get their their dues in front of this home crowd that they didn't get to get last year. Yeah, this it comes down to athletes, right? This is the first game for Ohio State in, in maybe the last where the athletic talent on the field will be similar. Um, And that's not a knock against some of the other Ohio State opponents who are supremely talented in their own right. But when it comes to just speed, quickness, athleticism, size, even some of these um, Oregon dudes are just ridiculous. That level of athleticism, it's actually going to be similar to that at Ohio State. And you can't say that about all of the teams in the Big Ten, which is why, you know, the Buckeyes have won 100 Big Ten championships in a row. But that's just how I how I see things, you know, Buckeye offense versus Oregon defense. I know that we want to get into the the Oregon Ducks offense as well. So what do you have on them? What's interesting to you? And how do you think the Buckeyes match up with that Ducks offense and that uh, dual threat kind of running game quarterback? Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Yeah, and it's just funny too, before we even get to the, the Oregon offense, is that like, you know, Ohio State's two best players on offense are probably Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson, and we really didn't even talk about them just because we expect them to be good in pretty much every game. But like, Ohio State, like, if they want to open this up early, like, Chris Olave is, is virtually unguardable by any player in all of college football. So you want to open some stuff early, just, just hit him short, let him make some plays. We saw his run after the catch ability just go nuts against Minnesota. And so clearly that's something he's been working on. And if that's, you know, if they could get it to him and Garrett Wilson early, maybe work Jackson Smith and Jigba in there a little bit more, get something to Jeremy Ruckert, they could really open up this defense a little bit because, like I said, you know, Oregon's defense is good. But I don't. I, there isn't a player in the country I think that could guard Chris Olave one on one. So if they want to have some big plays early, maybe try to yeah. try to get Oregon on their toes a little bit. They'll they'll go to those guys early on and try to get things going quickly. But yeah, let's transition over to this Oregon offense. Obviously, their their bread is buttered on defense, but their offense is no slouch either. 
They bring in grad transfer running back, uh, grad transfer quarterback Anthony Brown from Boston College. Uh, he played three seasons there, some as a starter, some as just a backup. He threw for nearly 5,000 yards, 40 touchdowns, 20 picks. So not no, no not bad up there, especially for the Boston College offense before Jeff Halfley really got there. Um, in their first game against Fresno State, he completed 15 of 24 passes for 172 yards and a touchdown. Uh, he also had 16 rushes for 56 yards and a touchdown, but he was also sacked three times, so those yardage take away from his running totals. But he is a pretty decent dual threat out there, so it's another thing that Ohio State's defense will have to work about, work on and, and worry about with his legs. Um, they have a good running back tandem in C.J. Verdell and Travis Dye. They both have a lot of experience. They both pretty much share the workload back there. C.J. Verdell had 18 carries for 74 yards and a touchdown versus Fresno State, and Dye had 13 carries for 64 yards and a touchdown. Uh, they bring back a veteran receiver core in Johnny Johnson III, Jalen Red, and Micah Pittman. Uh, Johnson and Pittman had the, the bulk of the work. They had combined for six catches for over 100 yards and a touchdown versus Fresno State. Uh, they also bring back four or five starters on the offensive line. So, you know, a lot like the defense is a lot of experience here. They did only score 31 against Fresno State. There were some some issues in that that offense. They, they you know, they, they had some missed assignments, a lot like Ohio State in the first half where they just kind of weren't on the same page altogether. Through the first 30 minutes, they kind of got it together a little bit better as the game went on, but they're, they're a pretty balanced offense. They finished with 172 yards passing and 186 yards rushing, which, you know, not great totals, but it's it's good to see that they had kind of the pass-run balance that you like to see from a good offense. And so this isn't like a, a highly electric kind of offense, but it's one that's very good at what they do, and they're, they're going to put up some points. Yeah, it's kind of odd. It's it's not the explosive Oregon offense that we saw a handful of years ago and for a long time, really in the 2010s and even going back to the, the 2000s. But there, I think that there are some parallels that can be drawn between Oregon and Minnesota. You know, Anthony Brown has been around forever. He's not the most prolific passer. I would say as a, a pure quarterback or a passing as a passer, He's not quite as intimidating or you don't plan for him the way you do a Tanner Morgan. Tanner Morgan's cerebral, um, a lot of experience back there, and he's got one really good passing season under his belt. I think he was a little bit different. But both teams really, really hammer the rock. Both teams love to run the ball. They just do it in different ways. You know, Minnesota had 50 carries against the Buckeyes. Oregon had 49 as a team against Fresno State, and they were – split up very evenly. You mentioned Verdell and Die, the two backs back there. They had like 31 carries combined. Anthony Brown had 16. So I think that Oregon will lean on the run. They just do it in a different way. They run some of the read option. They even ran some traditional like old school speed option, which you don't see as much um, anymore. So in Ohio State, it, it always kind of concerns me that Ohio State has struggled with mobile running quarterbacks in the past. They've had success too, but at the same time, like it just takes a couple of plays. And we saw Anthony Brown, or I at least saw Anthony Brown, that 30-yard touchdown he had in the fourth quarter against Fresno State was a great run. Um, you know, changed direction a couple of times and just, you know, got away from some guys. He's a long strider. So I think that that's a dynamic that Ohio State's going to have to practice on, you know, consistently throughout the week and be on their toes for, especially with new linebackers. If they're running some of that option game and you've got a T. Mitchell or a Cody Simon or Tommy Eichenberg, whoever it is coming down, they have to stay disciplined and they have to know their assignment 
whether they're looking at the running back or the quarterback that play to kind of force some uh, indecisiveness from Brown if they're running that that option out that out to the boundary. So it's it's a challenge that Ohio State, like I said, they've struggled with before, and I think it'll be really interesting because while Anthony Brown doesn't intimidate me as a passer. He does so as a runner. And then as a passer, all he needs to do is get it to the outside. He had a couple um, you know, deeper plays, but he's got some speed on the boundary. His receivers, if they can work the screen game or you know, just some slants and stuff through the middle, he doesn't have to be Pat Mahomes or Aaron Rodgers downfield with his accuracy. He just has to get it out quick enough to where his guys can make plays and um, – you know, they didn't even have, they had a guy, Troy Flank, Troy Franklin. He's a freshman wide receiver. I don't even know if he played. I know he wasn't credited with a catch during that Fresno State game, but he was like a top 10 wide receiver in the country. We talked about their recruiting. Um, skinny guy, he's like 170 pounds, but I remember his name during the recruiting cycle. Um, top 10 wide receiver, like I said, he was a high four-star um, I, I don't know what happened with him. Maybe you do. If not, we're just kind of in the dark, but he was a highly, highly touted freshman who didn't do anything against Fresno state. But if he plays this week and gets on the field, that's just another factor that Ohio state's going to have to deal with. Yeah. Oregon's kind of always had that, that team speed that you talked about. And like, like you said, they're not exactly the, the most explosive Oregon offense they've had, but they're, they do have that quickness. And I am definitely, Definitely concerned about Ohio State's linebackers going up against uh, a mobile quarterback like Brown, uh, especially the current crop of linebackers they have. Because, like you know, we we saw, we don't really know who Ohio State's starting linebackers are at this point. Like, like they said, they want to kind of. We know who they should be. We know who they should be, but we don't know who they will <laughs> be coming out. And even if they are the guys that we we want them to be, I don't know if they have a ton of you know speed in that linebacker room to catch up to a guy like Anthony Brown. So I think that you know. Guys off the edge, like Zach Harrison, who's always been good against the run, and Tyreek Smith, they're going to have to play a, a pivotal role in this game in, in uh, containing a guy like Anthony Brown so that the linebackers aren't in one-on-one in space against him because I don't know if that's a, a winning matchup for Ohio State. Like you said, we've this team has always kind of struggled against the mobile quarterback. And while Anthony Brown isn't, you know, Lamar Jackson out there, he, he's a very good athlete and he's, you know, he's quick. He makes good decisions with the football. And so he's a guy that they're going to have to try to contain. It's another aspect of, of defense that they're going to have to worry about on top of his ability to throw the ball and get the ball out in space and hit those kind of short throws that we saw them give up against Minnesota. And so it's, it's a lot to game plan for on defense, especially for a defense that's still, you know, learning who its best unit is and, and what their best schemes are. And, and a lot, like, they're still really figuring out who they are back there. We don't know. You know, I expect that the, the coaches didn't really talk about injuries a lot today. I'm expecting Seven Banks to be back this week. I'm not as confident in Cam Brown. And, you know, Josh Proctor is probably like, you know, I, we don't really know what he got hurt with at the end of that Minnesota game when he came out. I kind of, I'm expecting him to play as well. So if, you know, if two of those three guys are out there against Oregon, that's obviously better than them not being out there, but it's going to be, it's going to be a big ask for this defense, especially coming off a game where they could kind of, you know, sell out against one aspect. They could sell out against a run against Minnesota. They can't do that against Oregon. Even if it's an obvious passing play, they can't sell out on the pass. They can't sell out on the run. So it's going to be enough, a much tougher game. To, to kind of plan for on defense, and it's one that is not the greatest matchup for Ohio State. But you know, if if the right guys are out there and then they're everyone's doing their job, and you know these guys are they get a little healthier, you know, it could still be a pretty good day. I like our defensive line against their offensive line, even with the 
you know, the experience they have. I like, you know, Haskell Garrett, Teron Vincent, and the edge, edge guys I talked about. You know, obviously we didn't see a ton of JT Tuimaloao and Jack Sawyer. I expect to see a little bit more of them this week with a team that passes the ball a little bit more. Um, and so I, I like the defensive line matchup. I don't love the linebacker matchup. And then the, the secondary for Ohio State is kind of a, a toss-up depending on which guys are back and which guys are, are kind of healthy for that game. So there's a lot lot of question marks on that side of the ball, as there probably will be for much of the season for Ohio State. But if there's a, a matchup to look out for, it's I, I think it's definitely Ohio State's linebackers versus a mobile quarterback like Anthony Brown. Yeah, I thought that was a great point by you. You mentioned you know, containment. I think it's about discipline and containment when it, when it comes to playing against a mobile quarterback like this. And I talked about it in our, uh, our, your nuts that went up this week. I I think that they have to do The Buckeyes have to do a good job of just keeping Anthony Brown in front of them and in the pocket as often as they can, because, you know, I look at it, if the pass rushers are rushing past Anthony Brown, then he's rushing past us. You know what I mean? Like if they, if they get beyond that pocket and Brown's able to step up and there is no containment, especially if linebackers are turning around and following guys, you know, um, on deeper levels or across the field, he's going to have all the room in the world. So I think that we need a big game from the defensive line to help protect those linebackers that you and I both think are kind of going to be really tested this week. I think they have to play a smart, smart game and, you know, not send six, seven, eight guys on any or many plays period, because, you know, like I said, you run past him, he's running past us. Yeah, for sure. And I kind of asked you last week before the Minnesota game, what would have to happen for Ohio State to lose that game? And I don't think that's a question that really has to be asked this week, because this is, you know, this is a game between two top 12 opponents. Like it wouldn't be a, a huge shocker if Ohio State were to lose this game. Obviously, it's not something that many are expecting. They're a double digit favorite heading into this game. But I think if Ohio State were to lose this game, it would come down to just the play of the linebackers and the defensive line containing Anthony Brown, keeping this offense in front of them, not getting killed by the, these 10 yard quick quick passes and short runs a lot of you know it's basically like a better run offense with that Minnesota had just with a a quarterback that could throw a little better and slightly worse running backs because I think you know neither you know Verdell and Dye are both very good but neither of them are Hamid Ibrahim so it won't be as strong a run game but it'll be a better pass game and it's a lot more you know RPO stuff little option passes like you said they ran a little speed option so it's a lot there's a lot that they do well and there's a lot to game plan for and while none of it's really you know, none of it should really be big chunk plays. If they just keep doing it consistently down the field, they're going to score points. So I, I think, you know, the, the biggest area of concern for me, if Ohio State were to lose this game, would be like this this front seven against a team that plays offense the way that Oregon does. Yeah, I think there's definitely an inherent danger, uh, especially on the defensive side of the ball. I think that our offense is clicking or will click much faster, even with C.J. Stroud out there, whereas the defense has some catching up to do, and they're going from one unique opponent to the other, both run-oriented, but in different ways. So I I think that, yeah, I I would have to agree with you. If Ohio State's defense struggles or they're just not able to keep guys in front of them and keep containment, Ohio State could definitely be um, in some real trouble in this one. I think it's a concerning game. Yeah. For sure. You know, there's a lot there's a lot of, of stuff that if Ohio State comes out here and does well, it's very, very positive for the rest of the year. You know, if Ohio State comes out here and they've found kind of their 
their flow on defense. They figured out which of their their best eleven guys out there provide the best defense. They've kind of they've shortened up the running back rotation there. They you know the CJ Stroud is hitting all of his passes. They're hitting some deep balls. They're hitting some short stuff. They're they're getting the run game going. If they put it all together and they look really good in this game, I think that's very, very positive moving forward because, you know, we're not going to see a lot of high-powered offenses in the Big Ten. It's just not what this conference does. So this is really one of their their only chances, at least early in the year, to kind of put on display what this defense could be against the kind of offense that they would see in the playoffs if they saw one of these better, you know, top 15 out-of-conference offenses. So I think there's a lot to be learned from this game, and I think we will learn a lot about this Ohio State team in this early matchup. Um, you know, I, I'm not going to pick them to lose it, but um, I think it'll be a close game, and I, I don't know uh, if they'll cover the spread, but I think it'll be pretty close to that spread. I think Vegas is pretty good at what they do. Their numbers are usually around the right spot. So, Josh, as we kind of wrap up here, what are you thinking in terms of score prediction? I think that I think Ohio State will fail to cover the spread. The last that I saw was 13 or 13 and a half. I think they win by multiple possessions, but I would say that this is a 10-point game. Um, I would call it something, uh, well, I I can't give you multiple scores. I would say 38-28. I think Ohio State wins by 10. I think that there are some close moments. Um, You know, we saw a field goal during the first game. We forgot to give props um, to Noah Ruggles there. but So I, I don't know that that's the difference in the game but I think they win by a touchdown on a field goal. Yeah, I, I'm kind of in the same boat as you. I'm, I'm gonna, I was going to think more of like 42-31, which is you know kind of around that 10 number. It's around two possessions. Um, I, I'm going to stick with my notion that I don't think there's a defense in the country that could keep this Ohio State offense under 40 points. Uh, I haven't proved wrong yet. I want to know in those, that prediction, but I think 42 is a good number for them. It's around what they scored against Minnesota, but it's you know a better defense. I think they will be able to pass the ball a little bit better. C.J. Stroud will be in a more friendly environment. Hopefully the weather holds up this time around and he'll be able to pass the ball a little bit better. You know, hopefully Ohio State doesn't waste possessions on a bad running back and only gives it to their good ones. And so I think that the offense will be chugging along. I'm not worried about the offense really at all, even with all the, the good stuff we've talked about, Oregon's defense. I just think there's too many too many playmakers on this Ohio State offense for them to not put up points. And then on defense, I think they're just gonna they're gonna let up their points, but they'll it'll be kind of a, a bend don't break thing where Ohio State maybe gets a turnover or does just enough to keep Oregon from from really taking the lead. It's gonna be I think it'll be close throughout. I don't think it's gonna be like Minnesota where Ohio State's like trailing early and then pulls away. I think it's just kind of gonna be a, a back and forth matchup until maybe like end of the third quarter where Ohio State maybe gets that turnover or they just get a defensive stop and they're able to take a two possession lead and then they kind of ride that to the end. So I, I think it'll be a close game. I think it'll be a good game. Should be a lot of fun to watch. Two two good offenses, two, you know, different di- very different defenses, but two good offenses for sure and uh a fun matchup in the horseshoe. Yeah, I think that the fact that they're in the horseshoe too, I don't think that that can be understated. There are rumors out there that it may not be a sellout, which I'm somewhat surprised by, uh just due to the fact that we haven't had people in the stands for over a year, but obviously these are unprecedented times, so part of me also gets it. Regardless, um, you know, there are going to be 90,000 plus in the shoe and that will be something completely new, especially for Anthony Brown, you know, as the, the sort of captain out there, the, the quarterback who touches the ball on every snap. I think that that's going to be um, a different dynamic for him that could play into Ohio State's favor. I mean, you can never underestimate the shoe. Uh, it's not the absolute loudest stadium in the world. It's not um, Blacksburg. I don't know if you saw Enter Sandman 
uh, when Virginia Tech came oh, out. Yeah, we no, don't we don't awesome. have that, but we've still got a hell of a lot of uh, you know Ohio State Buckeye crazies and Buckeye fans that are going to make a lot of noise and and uh, hopefully cheer Ohio State on to a pretty solid victory. And, you know, I'm, I'm really excited to have the band back, too. You know, we didn't get the, the luxury yeah. of having the best damn band in the land last year. They're going to be back in the shoe. We get Script Ohio back, all the, you know, the, the drive, drive on down the field, all the post-touchdown music, all the in-game music. It's a lot of fun. I missed having the band last year. It's such a big aspect of college football, just that pageantry and having those bands. So I'm really excited to get them back, too, in just like a non-game-related atmosphere kind of thing. I think that's, you know, that's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun for fans. I think the players enjoy it, too. So I'm excited for that too and obviously having the Buckeye fans back in the building get that first stadium Ohio of the year going it's going to be a lot of fun it's going to be a great atmosphere I wish I was out in Columbus to take this one in for sure yeah Gene I think you and I are on the same page you know we're we're both going to take this game seriously but we're both really interested in it and um, you know that's kind of where I leave it I think it's going to be a really fun game between two really solid opponents and you know obviously we, we hope that the good guys are going to come out on top yeah, for sure. And it's kind of it's a little bit less stressful than the Minnesota game in a way because like it's a game where if Ohio State were to lose in a close game, I don't think it's a a death blow to their playoff chances because it doesn't impact their standings in the Big 10 at all. They could still run the table and win the Big 10. They'll have some, you know, a, a chance to yeah. have some really big ranked matchups with a, like Penn State that seems to be pretty good, uh probably in Iowa or Wisconsin who are both highly ranked in the Big 10 championship. So, the road ahead provides a lot of opportunities. It's certainly a lot more opportunities than a team like Clemson's going to have in the ACC or, you know, a team in the Pac-12 or the Big 12 with, the you know, some of the teams that are out there. So Ohio State's still definitely going to have a chance if they lose this game. Not that we're, not that I'm giving them any excuses or giving them a chance, but I'm honestly a little, I'm personally less anxious about this game than the other ones just because I think it's it's less of a detriment if Ohio State were to lose it. But then again, if they do win it, it's a massive win on their resume and it's one that they could kind of you know look to as, as kind of the defining moment of the season if they go on to have a, a really strong year. Yeah, see, Gene, that's what I appreciate about you. You know, we know each other as co-hosts, but now I also know that you're a hedger when it comes to your gambling. You know, you're looking at both sides of the coin here. Yeah, if Ohio State happens to lose... Here's why it's not too bad. So I, I like where your head's at on that one. And I, I didn't really think of it that way, but yeah, I, you know, I get it. And I agree. We, this is a tough game against a tough opponent, um, but it's not all doom and gloom. If something, you know, like a loss were to happen, it's, it's just another good rep to get under your belt and get as an experience moving forward into the rest of the season. Yeah, so we're both really looking forward to the game. We'll obviously be coming at you with a bunch more coverage this week leading up to the game. We'll have a bunch of post-game stuff. Me and Josh will be coming at you sometime this weekend with a, a post-game recap of what we saw this weekend. But that's going to be all for our, our pre-game stuff this week. Be sure to... Uh, I sent out a tweet last week post-game with your hot takes. You guys are pretty good at responding, so be sure to hit us back up on the Twitter after the game with your spiciest takes from the game, what you saw, what you want us to talk about in the recap, and we will be back this weekend. Uh, this has been Hangout in the Holy Land. Be sure to like, rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff wherever you get your podcast. And uh, for Josh Dooley, I am Gene Ross, and we will see you later this weekend. Go Bucks.